Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. Hello. Peyton is meditating right now because she just got home from her dad's and she's smelling her blanket. She's like this. <sighs> does anybody sleep with a blanket? Yeah, everybody sleeps with a blanket. No, I'm sorry. Does anybody sleep with a blankie? Because we're a blankie family and everybody in this family pretty much has a blankie. And even my grown-up two best... Actually, Tony doesn't have a blankie, but my other friend, best friend Danielle, she has a blankie. <laughs> and we're just blank people. We call it... Mila has one. Mila has one. We call it Blankster the Gangster. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Love blankies. Honestly, dude, we need to, like, normalize blankies. We should start a podcast that's called Blankies for Grownups, and nobody will know what it's about, and we'll just be reading, and we'll just change the name of this one. It'll be called Blankies for Grownups. And even if you don't have a blankie, you can be part of it. Because everybody's welcome here at Blankies for Grownups. No? Okay. And, oh my god, I'm so excited, you guys. I got <clears throat> a Hocus Pocus chapter book. I don't even, Actually, I don't know if it's chapters, but it's like long form of Hocus Pocus. And we're putting it to our Halloween read for ow, October. Ow. Sorry. Okay, ready? Why are you hitting my hand on you? Because I'm excited for Hocus Pocus. Okay. Book the Tenth, A Slippery Slope, A Series of Unfortunate Events by Lemony Snicket. I wonder if it annoys anybody that, like, I never read that in this same order. Okay. You're thirsty? Yeah. Go grab water. Hold, please. We have resumed. Wow. The magic of editing. The magic of editing. Okay, bye-bye. We're back. Yeah, ten minutes later. We're here. Still. I'm going to... Well, too bad I didn't do that on our break, on our magic break. Okay, chapter 10. Let's get to it. Violet and Quigley walked carefully across the frozen pool until they reached the bottom of the waterfall. Good luck, Klaus called from the archway of the ruined library. He was polishing his glass as often as he did before embarking on a serious research. Oh, unserious research. Good luck to you, Violet replied, shouting over the, over the rush of the mountain winds. As she looked back to, at her brother, she remembered when the two siblings were trying to stop the caravan as it hurtled down the mountain. Klaus had wanted to say something to her in case the drag shoot and the mixture of sticky, sticky substances didn't work. Violet had the same feeling now as she prepared to climb the frozen waterfall and leave her brother behind at the ashy remains of VFD headquarters. Klaus, she said. Klaus put his glasses... Ooh, bug. Klaus put his glasses... It was a little gnat flying around. He put his glasses and gave his sister a brave smile. Whatever you're thinking of saying, he said, say it when you return. They have a bad habit of doing that. Just say it now. My goodness. Violet nodded and tapped her candelabra against the spot of the ice. Do you know what a candelabra is? It's like those like fancy old vintage candelabras 
candle holders where it's like, you know, the Dracula or like this, the scary movies that goes like this. It's got like multiple candle holders. Like you hold it like this and you walk through the hall. Oh, I know. It's the floating thing in the haunted mansion that in the hallway. And it goes like this. What is it? Um, I remember. It's a like, candlestick, but it has multiple candlesticks off of one handle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah like, how I remember this, mm-hmm. like, it's a celebration. And I remember when I was watching Sophia the First. Yes, exactly. It's usually like, yeah, exactly. Like um, royalty have them, have them often. And vampires use them. Ugh. Ooh. Okay. Did I say that? Because I used mm. to watch Sophia the Third. Oh. Um, I love Sophia the first. I love her. Sophia the first. All about how being what being royals all about. Sophia the first. Yep. Okay, we're terrible singers. Sorry. Okay. Back to the book. Violet nodded and tapped the candelabra against a spot on the ice. She heard a deep thunk, as if she were tapping something very solid. We'll start here, she said to Quigley. Brace yourself. The expression, brace yourself, as I'm sure you know, does not mean to take some metal wiring and rivets and other orthodontic material and apply them to your own teeth in order to straighten them. The expression simply means get ready for something that will probably be difficult. And it was indeed very difficult to climb a frozen waterfall in the middle of a windswept valley with nothing but a candelabra and a few well-placed forks to aid the two children in their climb. It took a few moments for Violet and Quigley to start their, to, to work their invention properly and push the forks into the ice just far enough to hold them up there, but not far enough that they would be permanently stuck. And once the both of them were in position, Violet had to reach up as far as she could and tap the candelabra in the ice above them for the next spot, next solid place to climb. For the first few steps, it seemed the, like the ascending ice slope in this manner would would be impossible as it went on, but the two volunteers grew more and more skillful skillful with the fork-tipped climbing shoes and the candelabra ice tester. It became clear <clears throat> that once again, Violet's inventing skills would carry the, carry the day. A phrase here which means enable the Baudelaire and Baudelaire's and Quigley Quagmire to club. Oh, enable Violet Baudelaire and Quigley Quagmire to climb up a frozen waterfall after embracing themselves for the difficult journey. Your invention is working, Quigley called up to Violet. These fork-assisted climbing shoes are marvelous. Well, they do seem to be working, Violet said, but let's not celebrate just yet. We have a long way to go. My sister wrote a couple a couplet that is very that my sister wrote a couplet about that very thing, Quigley said, and recited Isadora's poem. Celebrate when you're half done and the finish won't be won't be half as fun. Violet smiled and reached up to test the ice above her. Isadora is a good poet, Violet said, and her poems have come in handy more than once. When we were at the village of foul devotees, she led us to her location by hiding secret messages in a couple of couplets. I wonder if that's the code she learned from VFD, Quigley Quigley said, or if she made up herself. I don't know, Violet said thoughtfully. She and Duncan were the first to tell us about VFD, and I've never... And it never occurred to me 
that when they might that they might already be members. When I think about it, however, the code she used was similar to her Aunt Josephine. They both hid a secret location within the note and waited for us to discover the hidden message. Maybe they were all volunteers. She rem- she removed her fork, her left fork-assisted climbing shoe from the ice and kicked it back a few inches up further up her climb. Maybe all of our guardians have been members of VFD on one side of the... Uh, on one side or the other side of the schism. It's hard to believe, Quigley said, that we've always been surrounded by people carrying out secret errands that we never knew it. It's hard to believe that we're climbing up a frozen waterfall at Mort Main Mountain, Violet replied, and yet here we are. There, Quigley, do you see the ledge where my left fork is? It's solid enough for both of us to sit for a moment to catch our breath. Good, Quigley said. I'll have a small bag of carrots and I have a small bag of carrots in my backpack that we can eat to regain energy. The triplet The triplet climbed Okay, the climbed up to where Violet was sitting on the small ledge of the scarcely sized sofa and slid so he was right next to her. The two climbers could see that they had traveled further than they thought. Far below them were the blackened ruins of the headquarters, and Klaus was only a small speck near a tiny iron archway. Quigley handed Violet a carrot, and she bit down on it thoughtfully. Sunny loves raw carrots, Violet said. I hope that she's eating well wherever she is. I hope that my siblings are eating well too, Quigley said. My father always used to say that a good meal can cheer anyone up considerably. That is true, I believe that too. And a yummy dessert. Right, Peyton? Hey, you still have your other petty four in the fr- refrigerator if you want it. No, you're full. Okay. My father always said the same thing, Violet said, looking at Quigley, Quigley curiously. Do you think that was a code too? Quigley shrugged and sighed. Small bits of ice from the waterfall fell at the ends of the fork and blew away in the end. In the wind. It's like we never really knew our parents, he said. We knew them, Violet said. They just had a few secrets, that's all. Everyone should keep a few secrets. I suppose so, Quigley said, but they might have mentioned that we, they might have mentioned they are in a secret organization with headquarters hidden in, in the Mort Main Mountains. Well, maybe they didn't want us to find out about such dangerous places, Violet said, peering off of the ledge. Although, if you have to hide a headquarters, it's a beautiful place to do it. Aside from the remains of the fire, it's very lovely view. Very lovely indeed, Quigley said. Oh, sorry, guys. <laughs> but he was not looking at the few beneath him. He was looking beside him where Violet Baudelaire was sitting. Ooh, Violet and Quigley sitting in a tree. K-I-S-S-I-N-G. He, what? He was looking at her saying it was a beautiful view. That's adorable. Now, wah. Many things have been taken from the three Baudelaire's. Their parents were taken, of course, and their home was taken from them, but by a terrible fire. Their various gardens had been taken from them because they were murdered by Trunk Olaf, or were simply miserable guardians who stood lost in the interest in three young children with nowhere to go. The Baudelaire's dignity was taken from them on occasion with sibling on occasions when the siblings were forced to wear absurd disguises <clears throat> and recently they had been taken from one another with the kidnap sunny doing with the kidnap sunny doing the chores at the top of the frozen wall of waterfall while violet and klaus learned the secrets of vfd at the bottom but 
one thing that was taken from the Baudelaire's is not as often discussed as their private is their privacy. A word here which means time by oneself without anyone watching or interfering. Unless you're a hermit or a or half a pair of Siamese twins, <clears throat> you probably enjoy an occasional break from members of your family to enjoy some privacy, perhaps with a friend or a companion in your room or in a railway car that you have managed to sneak aboard. Since that dreadful day at Briny Beach when Mr. Poe arrived to tell the Baudelaire's that their parents had perished, the three children had scarcely had any privacy. privacy. From one of the small, dark bedrooms where they had slept at Count Olaf's house to the crowded caravan at Caligari Carnival and all of the other woeful places in between, the Baudelaire's situation was so desperate and cramped that they were rarely able to spare a moment for a bit of private time. So, as Baudel- as Violet and Quigley rested a few more minutes on the edge of the ha- the ledge halfway up the frozen waterfall, wow, they're already halfway, that's great. I would take the opportunity to give them a little bit of privacy by not writing down any more of what happened between these two friends on that chilly afternoon. Certainly, there were aspects of my own personal life that I will never write down. However, however, they are precious to me, and I will offer the eldest Baudelaire the same courtesy. I will tell you that the two young people resumed their climb and that the afternoon slowly turned into evening, and both Violet and Quigley had small secret smiles in their faces as a candelabra ice tester and the fork-assisted climbing shoes helped them both get closer and closer to the mountain, to the mountain's highest peak. But there had also been a little privacy in the life of the Violet Baudelaire, so that I will allow her to keep a few important moments to herself rather than sharing them with my distressed and weeping readers. <clears throat> We're almost there, Violet said. It's difficult to believe we're just at the top of the we're just about to the top of the peak. I cannot believe we're climbing all, we've been climbing all afternoon, Quigley said. Well, not all afternoon, she reminded him with a shy smile. If you want to see this picture, there's a picture. It's a picture of Quigley yeah. and Violet just sitting on the cliff together. I guess this waterfall is about as high as 667 Dark Avenue. It took a very long time to get up and down the elevator shaft trying to rescue your siblings. I hope this is more of a successful journey. Me too, Quigley said. What do you think that we'll find at the top? Set, came the reply. I couldn't hear your voice over the wind, Quigley said. What did you say? I didn't say anything, Violet said. She squinted above her, trying to see the last of the sunset and scarcely daring to hope that she heard correctly. Out of those words in the English language, the word set had the most definitions. And if you were a very good dictionary and read words long, long, ent- read the words long, long entry, you would begin to think that set is scarcely not a word at all. Only a sound that means something different depending on who is saying it. If a group of jazz musicians say set, for instance, they are probably referring to the songs that they are planning to play at the club that evening, assuming it doesn't burn down. If the owner of the restaurant uses the word set, they might mean a group of matching wine glasses or a bunch of waitresses looking who look exactly alike. A librarian would say set, referring to a collection of books that are just all the, by all the same author or about the same subject. And an Egyptianologist would use the word set to refer to an ancient god of evil, although he does not come up with very often in discussion. But when Violet heard the word set from the top of Mount Frott, 
She did not think that there was a group of jazz musicians, a restaurant owner, a librarian, or an Egyptologist talking about jazz, wine glasses, waitresses, thematically themed books, or a black immortal aardvark who is the sworn enemy of God Osiris. She reached her fork as high as she could to climb a little closer, and she saw the rays reflect off of a large tooth, and Violet knew at this time the definition of set was, I knew you would find me. The speaker was Sonny Baudelaire. Set, Sonny said again. Sonny, Violet cried. Shh, Sonny said. What's going on? Quigley asked. Several fork steps behind Violet. It's Sonny, Violet said and hoisted herself into the peak to see her baby sister standing next to Count Olaf's car and grinning from ear to ear. Without another word, the two Baudelaire sisters hugged fiercely, Violet taking care not to poke Sunny with one of the forks she was holding. By the time Quigley reached the top of the peak and pulled himself up to lean against the car's tires, the two Baudelaires were smiling at each other with tears in their eyes. I knew we'd see you again, Sunny, Violet said. I just knew it. Klaus, Sonny said, he's safe and nearby, Violet said. He knew we could find you too. Set, Sonny agreed, but when she noticed Quigley and her eyes grew wide, Quagmire, she said in amazement. Yes, Violet said, this is Quigley Quagmire, Sonny. He survived the fire after all. Because I'm talking quietly because they're like whispering, right? He led us to the headquarters, Sonny, with a map he drew himself. A rod. Aronigo, Sonny said, which meant something like, I appreciate your help, Quigley. What was it who, was it you who signaled us, Quigley said? Yep, Sonny said, locks. Count Olaf's been making you do all the cooking, Violet said in amazement. Vakroom, Sonny said. Olaf even made her clean the crumbs in the car. Violet translated to Quigley by blowing as hard as she could. That is ridiculous, Quigley said. Cinderella, Sonny said. It meant something along the lines of, I've had to do all the chores by while being humiliated at every turn. That's but Cinderella would I know. Cinderella, Went upstairs to kiss a fella, made a mistake and kissed a snake. How many kisses did it? Oh. Oh my God, I'm sorry. I haven't been in elementary school. How many doctors did it take? You're right. What did you say? Kisses. I don't know. Listen, okay? I'm a grown-up. Throw me a bone here. Where where are you? Where are you, baby lair? He asked, adding an an absurd nickname for the list of insults. I've thought of more tasks for you to perform. The three children looked at one another in panic. Hide, Sunny whispered, and there was no need for translation. Violet and Quigley looked around the desolate landscape peak for a place to hide, but there was only one place to go. Under the car, Violet said, and she she and Quigley wiggled underneath the the long black automobile, which was dirty and smelly as it is, as the as it was the owner as an inventor, the eldest Baudelaire had pla- had plenty stared had it had stared closely at the automobile machinery plenty of times, but she had never seen such an extreme state of disrepair, a phrase here which means an underside of an automobile in such bad shape that it was dripping oil on her and her companion. But Violet and Quigley did not have a moment to waste to think of their discomfort. They no sooner had to move their fork-assisted climbing shoes out of the view when Count Olaf and his companions arrived. 
From underneath the car, the two volunteers could see that the villain's tattoo on the filthy ankle above his left shoe and a pair of very stylish pumps decorated with glitter and tiny paintings of eyes. That could only belong to Esme Squalor. Esme Gigi Genevieve Squalor. What a bougie name. Yeah. All we've had to eat today was that smoked salmon, and it's almost dinner time, Count Olaf said. You'd better get cooking, orphan. Tomorrow is false spring, Esme said, and that would that would be in to have some false spring dinner. Did you hear that, Toothy? Olaf said. My girlfriend wants a stylish dinner. Get to work. Olaf, we need you, a deep voice said, and Violet and Quigley saw two pairs of sinister black shoes appear behind the villain and his girlfriend, whose shoes twitched nervously at the sight of them. All of a sudden, it seemed much colder underneath the car, and Violet pushed her legs against the tire so that they would not shiver against the mechanics of the underside and be heard. Yes, Olaf agreed with a hoarse voice of the wait with a hoarse voice of the man with the beard but no hair although violet and quigley could not see him our recruitment plan will happen first thing in the morning so we need you to help spread out the spread the net out on the ground can't you ask one of the other employees to do it asked esme there's a hook-handed man two white-faced women and the three freaks we picked up at the carnival that's eight people if you include yourselves to spread out the net why should we do it the four black shoes stepped towards Esme with Esme's stylish pumps and Olaf's tattoo. You'll do it, said the woman with the hair but no beard, because I say so. There was a long, ominous pause, and then Count Olaf gave a little high-pitched laugh. That's a good point, he said. Come on, Esme, we've, we've, bought, we've bossed around the baby, so there's nothing else to do around here. That's true, Esme agreed. In fact, I was thinking about taking a smoking break again because I'm bored. Do you have any more of those green cigarettes? Oh, I'm afraid not, replied the man with no be- with a beard but no hair, leading the villains away from the car. That's the only one I found. Oh, that's too bad, Esme said. I don't like the taste or the smell, and they're very bad for you. But cigarettes are very in, and I'd like to smoke another one. Well, maybe there's one in, in the ruins of the headquarters, said the woman with hair but no beard. It's it's hard to find everything in those ashes. We've searched for days and couldn't find the sugar bowl. Not in front of the baby, Olaf said quickly, and the four pairs of shoes walked away. Violet and Quigley stayed underneath the car until Sunny said, Coast clear, which meant it's safe to come out now. now. <laughs> yeah. Those were... Those were terrible people, Quigley said with a shudder, brushing the oil and grime off of his coat. They made me feel cold all over. They certainly had an aura of menace, Violet agreed in a whisper. With the feet with the tattoo were were Count Olaf and those glittery shoes were Esme Squalor. But who were the other two, Sunny? Uno Neurosis, Sunny whispered, which means something along the lines of, I don't know, but they were the ones that burned down the VFD headquarters. And Violet was quick to explain this to Quigley. Klaus had found an important message in this survived fire, Violet said, but by the time you take down, you by the time we take you down the waterfall, I'm sure we'll ha- he'll have decoded the message. Come on. No go, Sunny said, which meant no. I don't think I ought to accompany, accompany you. Why on earth not? Violet said. Usonic, said Sunny. Sunny says that the villains have mentioned more of a safe place for the volunteers to gather violet explained to quagmire do you know where that is quickly asked 
Sunny shook her head. Oh, file, she said, but but if you count Olaf and has the Snicket file, Violet said, how are you going to find out where that safe place is? Matarney, she said, which meant something along the lines of, if I stay, I can spy on them and find out. Absolutely not, Violet said, after she translated. It is not safe for you to stay here, Sunny. It's bad enough that Olaf has made you do the cooking. Locks, Sunny pointed out. But what are you going to do if... How are you going to make a false spring dinner, Violet asked. Sunny gave her sister a smile and walked over to the trunk of the car. Violet and Quigley heard her rummaging around in the remain in the remaining groceries but stayed put so that olaf or any of his associates wouldn't spot them when sunny returned she had a triumphant smile on her face and the frozen hunks of spinach and the large bag of mushrooms the can of water chestnuts and the enormous eggplant in her arm false spring rolls she said which meant something like an assortment of vegetables wrapped in spinach leaves and prepared in honor for false spring i'm surprised that you can even carry that eggplant let alone prepare it violet said it must weigh as much as you do supertunity said sunny which means something along the lines of serving the troop dinner will be a perfect chance to listen and get into their conversation and violet reluctantly translated it sounds dangerous, Quigley said. Of course it's dangerous, Violet said. If if she's caught spying, who knows what they'll do to her. Gaga goo goo, Sunny said, <laughs> which meant I won't be caught because I think I'm only a helpless baby. I think your sister's right, Quigley said. If it won't be safe to carry it won't be safe to carry her down the waterfall anyways. We need our hands and feet to climb. Let Sunny investigate the mystery she's most likely to solve and while we worked on an escape plan. Violet shook her head. I do not want to leave my baby sister behind, she said. The Baudelaire's should never be separated. Separate Klaus. Separate Klaus, Sunny pointed out. If there's another place where the volunteers are gathering, Quigley said, we need to know where it is. Sunny can find out for us, but only if she stays here. I'm not going to leave my baby sister on the top of the mountain, Violet said. Sunny dropped her vegetables on the ground and walked over to her sister and smiled. I am not a baby, Sunny said and hugged her. Oh, that's so cute. It was the longest sentence the youngest Baudelaire had ever said, and Violet looked down at her sister, and she saw how true that was. Sunny was not really a baby, not anymore. She was a young girl with an unusually with unusually sharp teeth and some impressive cooking skills, and, and an opportunity to spy on a group of villains and discover a piece of the crucial information. Um, sometimes... Sometimes during the unfortunate events that have befallen on the three orphans, Sunny had grown out of her babyhood, and although it made Violet a bit sad to think about, it also made her proud, and she gave her little sister a smile. I guess you're right, Violet said. You're not a baby. But be careful, Sunny. You're a young girl, and it's still quite dangerous for a young girl to spy on villains. And remember, we're right at the bottom of the slope, Sunny said. If you need us, just signal us again. Sunny opened her mouth. Did, are they going to climb all the way back down? Oh my gosh. You're fine. I mean, it's going to take all day to get down and then all day to get back up. Okay, if there's an emergency, just give us nine hours to get up and we will be right back. That doesn't sound like a good game plan. I'm just saying. Sunny opened her mouth to reply, but before she could utter a sound, the three children heard a long, lazy hissing noise from underneath Olaf's car, as if one of Dr. Montgomery's snakes were hiding there. The car shifted lightly, and Violet pointed at Olaf's tires, which had gone flat. 
It must, I must have punctured it, Violet said, with my assisted fork climbing shoes. That's not, su- that, I suppose that's not a nice thing to do, Quigley said, but I can't say I'm sorry. How's dinner coming along, Toothface? Called Olaf in his cruel voice that's over the sound of the wind. I guess we'd better leave before we get discovered, Violet said, giving her sister one more hugging kiss at the top of the head. We'll see you soon, Sonny. Goodbye, Sonny said. Oh, goodbye, Sonny, Quigley said. I'm so glad that we finally got to meet in person, and thank you very much for helping us find the last safe place. Sonny Baudelaire looked up at Quigley and then at her older sister and gave them both a big, happy smile that showed all of her impressive teeth. After spending so much time with the company of villains, she was happy to be with some people who respected her skills, appreciated her work, and understood her way of thinking. Even with Klaus still at the bottom of the waterfall, Sunny felt as if she had already been happily reunited with her family. And that was, oh, oops. And that, burp, 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 and that her time and Mortmain Mountain would have, have a happy ending. She was wrong about that, of course. But for now, the youngest Baudelaire smiled at these two people who cared for her. And one she had just met. One she had known her entire life and felt as if she were growing taller that very moment. Happy, said the young girl, and everyone who heard her knew exactly what she was talking about. Aww. That was cute when she said, I'm not a baby. Aww, little Sunny Baudelaire. I'm sorry, that's cute. I'm not a baby. Okay. That's cute.